Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, you'll have 20 minutes or so of uh, news and thought from me, Chris Bowne, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and Andrew Sankster, the editorial director at Hotel Analyst. Uh, we're going to be covering three different topics today. I'm going to start by taking a look at the march back to the office, uh, uh, the extent to which it may or may not be happening, and also the uh, extent to which that may or may not be impacting on the use of hotels. So we've got some conflicting um, views, some conflicting evidence here. Uh, there was a, uh, a recent commentary at a, a conference in the States, the Hotel Data Conference, where uh, someone from CoStar, who's uh, head of uh, market and hospitality and market analytics was quite pessimistic about this, saying, you know, people aren't coming back to the office. If they're all going to be working from home, then person A working from home speaks to person B working from home. Uh, they're not actually then going to go and jump on a plane or a train and go and meet one another in person. They're going to carry on doing it virtually, and therefore that's bad news for um, hotels and bad news for travel as well. So. Uh, interesting to kind of speculate on this we've seen some high profile companies demanding or certainly very much strongly encouraging their staff to get back into the office at least some of the time uh, there's there's evidence uh, in, in various uh, city centres that uh, you know trade in sandwiches at lunchtime is up or down by whatever amount compared to pre-pandemic times um, and then there's certainly plenty of evidence of companies trying to sublet excess office space because they've decided after the pandemic they don't need to uh, oblige everybody to come in and work all day Monday to Friday in the office they've suddenly realized that actually they can get away with um, not having them in the office save quite a bit of money on real estate and by and large uh, depending on job type and whatever, some, certain people are performing just as well from their kitchen tables as they did coming into the office. So all of this obviously has a knock-on effect on the hotel sector. The big worry is whether and how corporate business will return. But from what we've heard recently from uh, some of the big hotel CEOs, they are seeing uh, that level of business come back. They're kind of not commenting perhaps on the return to the office, but they are commenting on the return of business travel and corporate bookings. And they are seeing that come back quite well. They are uh, comfortable with the fact that it's a bit less than it was before. Uh, because the leisure side of their business is a bit higher than it was before uh, but by and large they're expecting it to come back to sort of 80 or 90 percent of, of where it was prior to the pandemic so a difficult one to uh, be sure on this and I think very much nuanced depending on sectors and uh, parts of regions of the world yeah I think not for the first time um in the recovery process from the pandemic lockdowns that word nuance needs to come into play it, it requires um, nuanced thinking in terms of what is happening and what is going on at the moment so i think the first thing to say is that statistical rule needs to be remembered that correlation is not causation now historically there's been good correlation between office occupancy and the number of new offices being built in a city and the likely uh, demand for uh, business travel and um, business transient demand within hotels so i think jan freitag at str is absolutely correct to highlight 
you know the, the the challenges that we have in terms of if you've got occupancy which is still the case in in a number of u.s cities um office occupancy below 50 percent you ain't going to be seeing transient business travel recover to the extent um one might hope um simply because people aren't in the office now my own um thinking on this is that actually we've seen a, a fundamental shift here and you can't take a read through in terms of office occupancy is x therefore hotel demand is going to be y there's been a fundamental breakdown in that equation that would have worked pre-pandemic lockdowns is no longer uh, valid now we do need to see people coming back to offices which i think is happening and in your piece chris you mentioned um how at apple um not known as a sort of hard-nosed employer it's part of that whole west coast um, funky touchy-feely sort of techie types um but the ceo there tim cook is saying look we need you back at the office please um and i think that we are seeing some of that now and i think that's integral to company culture that that happens now some companies are restructuring so that's less critical but i think for any serious company looking to build a company culture is going to need some level of ongoing um uh, it, it, you know in-person um meetup um now of course you don't have to have an office to do that you can deliver that on a irregular basis say weekly or monthly or whatever it's going to be um through face-to-face -face meetings but i think actually that's going to drive hotel demand so um you know we've talked about this before in fact that um, as we get long distance commuting going on so if somebody and we've we've seen in here in the uk we've seen these reports about people going off to live in cornwall and coming in to, to have a meeting once or twice a month in london um doing the overnight sleeper train and all this kind of stuff um well if they don't take the sleeper train there's a hope that they will actually be staying over uh, at a hotel so that could increase hotel demand this shift in patterns of work um, so it's not at all clear simply because office occupancy isn't coming back quite as strongly um, that we're going to see that correlation holding in terms of hotel demand that's you know part one of the nuanced thinking part two is that actually well you know where does this office occupancy go and we've talked about flex office i certainly think there's been a, a big change in how people look at uh, uh what goes on um in terms of the working in office or not and a lot of employers are facing big demands from their their workforce that act you know they quite like working from home um and certainly one of the you know just as an anecdotal bit of evidence there the train strikes that we're currently um putting up with they are not having anywhere near the level of um uh sort of friction and chaos that historically they have done simply because people have simply gone back to their home office switched on the computer and decided to spend the day uh, um, working from there instead and i think we're going to see a, you know that, that that flexibility is there um but the key bit is this hotel demand piece and i think there's a good there are still a number of reasons to believe that even if we don't see a full um 
you know um, push back into full comeback in terms of office occupancy hotel demand and business transient demand will come back i think where jan freitag is absolutely right while it's at 50 percent no but i think you know this is a work in progress and my expectations are that come you know certainly by christmas if not before um we're going to see people and i think you know not the least of it is that if we start seeing a turnaround in terms of uh, uh unemployment figures they start creeping up people are going to be start worrying about their uh, jobs they're going to be rocking up in the office and keen to rock up in the office you know um, just because they don't want to be the top of the be on the top of the redundancy list so I think <laughs> we are going to see changes with that um, as economic conditions tighten ironically um, you know I've even there's even been press reports saying look people are going to be going to the office because it's cheaper there <laughs> you don't have to keep the heating on at home <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> over, over the winter months so um, you know if, if we if we do we start seeing this so all of these things my expectation is that whatever the key drivers are i think we will get past that that level maybe you know because uh we, we you know people will still be doing the the odd day or two a week working from home you can get just as much done at home as you can in the office if you're do if you're focused on that uh you know you've got reports to write and all of that can actually work out better both for the employer and the employee so we will see more of that i think um but offices themselves are being reconfigured to reflect more of this sort of bigger meeting thing this is you know in terms of actual floor space demand for offices um, net net what this leads to you know perhaps you won't see that much of a diminishment in terms of demand who knows this is not the obviously the priority for this this podcast but I certainly that I would be more optimistic than most in terms of that in terms of the overall office demand piece but I certainly am very optimistic about business transient coming back um, and I would say I'm more optimistic than uh, uh, Mr. Freitag is in terms of um, where we're going to be um, certainly by Christmas um, um, in terms of that people coming back. Now never mind the uh, short term worries about uh, demand and, and business travel, uh, there's, there's plenty of uh, investment activity building once more across the European hotel market uh, as investors uh, come into the sector and continue to uh, take a positive long-term view about the hotel business at large um, and we've seen uh, a massive Canadian pension fund uh, recently uh, decide to to put 500 million euros into buying hotels in in Europe they're convinced of uh, the they'll, they'll get a decent return in the in the medium to long term and they've teamed up with uh, Hamilton Pyramid Europe the management specialist to uh, look out for properties to build into that portfolio uh, they're not alone there's plenty of other activity in the market uh, Whitbread have recently acquired a, a prime property right in the middle of central London just off Trafalgar Square where they're going to be building probably what will be by, by far their largest hub hotel to date um, and uh, we've also seen some other deals with travel lodges changing hands uh, Stay City in Dublin has just been purchased by a long-term investor uh, ahead of its uh, imminent opening um, and more money yet more money coming in to back uh, luxury brands such as Aman which has uh, got around 900 million um, dollars behind it now from the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund and from Kane International to drive growth for the Aman brand so plenty of confidence medium to long term in the hotel uh, sector 
yes um again i'm going to call on this nuanced thinking analogy um if that's the mm -hmm. right word metaphor God knows. um um um, nuanced thinking anyway we we need a bit more of it to deal with this situation right now because i think that unquestionably uh we have a little bit of a um, i wouldn't say a buyer strike but we've, we've seen a buyer slowdown there's enough people saying this it's not just the odd deal has come apart i think we you know i've talked to a number of different people in the last month or so who are saying look things are actually slowing down now um you know one reason why the the current crop of deals seem to be still flowing through is of course most of these were struck a few months ago um and the debt finance was put in place and all of that kind of stuff so you know that momentum was there i think but where we are going to see a slowdown is in in the coming months um and this is just because of the whole macroeconomic geopolitical environment is just so difficult right now um probably the biggest thing is the change in interest rates so we are actually this is almost a generational shift now we've got a generation of people who have grown up with ultra low uh, monetary policy um or at least come into the their um, senior positions um, 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 while interest rates has, have been rock bottom and unprecedentedly low levels that is changing and that is clearly going to be we're going to be heading now uh, how much if only I knew mm -hmm. how high they were going to be heading um, but you know just as an example of that and I go into this detail in my write-up in the in the commentary for subscribers but uh, uh, if you look at overnight index swaps i'm these are numbers brought together by bca research one of my go-to places for economic data um what they what they show is that um, at the beginning of this year interest rates were expected to peak in the us at one and a half percent 1.550 bips um now it's um four percent or so um the, the peak is expected to be in the eurozone the peak is now 2.2 percent and in the uk the peak is now three and a half percent so and that's expected to be by july next year now i suspect um now bca um uh, more importantly than me certainly um their expectation is that actually probably the us is about right but a lot of the stuff in terms of the euro area and um the uk that's overshooting their expectation is that we're not quite going to get to those sort of uh, levels it has to be said that you know even the three and a half percent expected for the uk that is still historically quite a low level for interest rates certainly um, pre the gfc most people would have been quite happy to have been able to struck a, a you know a, a loan at that kind of level um we're not you know worked off the loans off that as a base rate um so it still looks like we are going to be in the sort of low levels of uh debt cost but they are normalized low levels and we, we've we've got out of this weird world of um ultra low interest rates um and of course this all brings into you know where are we with this whole um inflation um piece how bad and how difficult is this going to be now um i have to say the the level of hyperbole that's out there at the moment in terms of mainstream news reports is terrifying um i don't buy it i think it's well over the top notions of 
um, you know inflation topping 20% now <laughs> it's gonna be interesting is it because we'll know whether the whether I'm um, being you know far too Pollyanna-ish right now and um, I should be as bearish as some of those you know people like Goldman Sachs are saying 20% is possible and I think that's a misread because they're saying 20% is possible I'm not sure they're forecasting 20% inflation and I just don't buy it I just don't think we're going to get to that that level of inflation and BCA make a number of key points on this and I think the most profound one is you know which most of this current inflation has been driven uh, certainly in Europe it has been driven by the energy uh, situation and that's and believe it or not and here uh, really it's a contrarian view I suppose but there is data which supports this that actually we need to calm down about the the situation with regard to the energy price because we've had frankly complete dysfunction in the energy market you know gas prices going up 10 times is ludicrous um, the wholesale price of stuff hasn't gone down we've got an oil price which is actually dropping so what on earth is going on with gas like this now one of the reasons and I think this is a very uh, believable and compelling narrative that uh, BCA has is they're saying look um, we're in a weird situation where we've got a bunch of governments running around in Europe uh, willing to pay all almost anything um, to fill up their um, gas reserve facilities and in particular the German government um, has been out buying like bilio to try and fill these tanks up um, they are almost full now and as you know as that hits home and these sort of inelastic buyers leave the market we're going to see a significant correction to to gas prices um, now we will see um, I think it's a pretty convincing narrative I think and I'm hopeful that we will and what what BCA is suggesting is that actually that gas price by the end of November probably early December at the latest is going to start declining and that's going to feed through to lower inflation figures early in the new year um, now it could well be that this is Pollyanna it could well be that you know it's it's gonna we you know Goldman's is is right to highlight the 20% plus potential of inflation um, but I think there are also significant reasons to believe why that is unlikely and we're not heading to quite as bad a disaster as that um, I think one thing we are seeing is is a little bit of the the cost push inflation which is what we've had with energy is um, morphing into demand pull where we get that infamous wage price spiral um, that's going to be quite tough to deal with but I think if that if we do get corrections in gas prices um, within the next few months that will help and I, I do think you know we're here in the UK we've we've um, and we're just about to have was it 12:30? We're recording this on Monday morning, um, and at 12:30 we hear who the new Prime Minister of the UK is, most likely Liz Truss, and she's going to be announcing a wholesale program on Thursday. She's promising, and I suspect we will see that uh, have an impact. Um, and clearly, you know, places like France, which effectively nationalised the whole energy industry, and it's uh, all but nationalised the whole thing. That is now taking a significant uh, um, 
um, um, that that's really slowed down energy price hikes in France. Germany is taking an aggressive position as well in terms of supporting the position of consumers and industry. Um, the UK, I think, will be forced to adopt similar um, uh, policies. So I, I, I suspect what we'll be in, in, a, in even within a week or two, we're going to be in a very different place to where we currently think we are. Um, and I think this will look a lot better. And I, I'm you know, uh, I, I am admittedly keeping my fingers crossed, but I do think that within a couple of months, um, this the, the, this will be a, a transformed outlook. Now, the other thing we're doing this week is having a quick catch up, another look at what's going on with the whole business of ground rents. They, they appeared like some magical new financial instrument uh, into the hotel landscape in the last few years. There are certainly people who are concerned about what might happen to them if there were upsets in the market. Well, we've had uh, we've had a pandemic now we've got raging inflation um, so how are they doing um, well the answer is uh, they seem to be bearing up quite well and uh, there's been a recent deal involving the Butlins holiday campsites in the U UK which has seen a, a pension fund agree a ground rent deal um, which uh, has, has injected 300 million pounds uh, into the business um, so the, the pension fund obviously is happy with the fact that it's going to be getting a, a long-term index linked uh, income stream from acquiring that asset uh, there's plenty of other examples apparently where um, the because of the indexation of uh, ground rents um, in the deals uh, the the buyers the people who invested to, to purchase these income streams are quite happy with the fact that they are to an extent covered by uh, against the, the inflationary shock uh, we also hear that there's a, a deal uh, going through at the moment on a hotel freehold um, in Cambridge where the hotel has previously been subject to a ground rent deal so there appears to be no lack of uh, buyers interested in acquiring the freehold um, uh, not at all perturbed by the fact that there is a, a, a secondary kind of um, rental agreement in place in addition to the lease to Delata. So uh, looks like ground rents have by and large got through the recent shocks we've seen yeah i mean ground rents were controversial structures uh even when inflation and interest rates were moored at all-time lows um i think obviously we're in a very different world as we've just been uh, speaking about uh now um and i think this puts even more uh, pressure on ensuring that the deals are structured properly and correctly um, and you know ground rent deals are very much a long-term thing often 75 100, even 100 year kind of structure so my goodness me trying to factor in what what what, what we might see over that time um, it does require some uh, you know some very careful structuring to say the least um, and you know there's a bunch of stuff in there which is you know, challenging i think i mean if you you talked about rpi linkage well you know interestingly rpi retail price index is something which is uh, um, well quite soon probably not mm. even going to be gathered so what the replacement is going to be for an rpi index is 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 an interesting question um in terms of the agreements themselves so that would be a, a key one because i think you know the preferred measure of inflation these days is uh, 
consumer price inflation with housing costs in there cpih um, is is the most robust measure most statistical authorities are liking that um, that is often well certainly at the moment significantly lower than rpi um, so it, it's important i think that we you know that that there is a bit of transparency around that which there isn't you know as you found chris when you were trying to report mm-hmm. on the butlins deal um nobody knows i mean you know uh quite w- what is in there um um and obviously you know if you're interested in buying uh butlins now that would take i would suggest quite a bit of unpicking to be clear on what that means now the reality for any you know if it, it is it's it's not cost free and it's not free money um it is a sensible uh, frankly it's a debt instrument but it does impact the debt structure or of, of the business the capital structure is is impacted quite significantly um senior debt providers hate them by and large uh, ground rents because they're looking at it thinking well hang on a minute we've got uh, we've got a, a body coming in here above us normally senior debt people are the have first call on the asset well actually ground rents you know the owner of the ground rent has the first call on the asset which gives great security to the person you know with the ground rent deal not so great for the senior debt and and it and it really you know in terms of the actual equity owner of of the real estate they're thinking um they're put into a position where probably the well almost certainly the the net value of what they've got is is lower in the sense of they can't now go out and get as much senior debt as they would have done if they hadn't got a ground rent deal in because that you can't it's not a magic money tree and that you've suddenly created extra extra cash and some of the structures that have been put in place you know I'm, you know you have to say you're a bit suspicious of where they're put in place to get a deal over the line because nobody could make the numbers make sense or oh, let's stick in a ground rent deal and it all it's all then hunky story well that that to me is extremely smelly in terms of a of a structure um and you've got to be a bit of bit more careful i mean the good news about the butlins deal is now being put in place so any buyer coming in is in a good good position i think to to assess what 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 is actually there um and so they can bid on that basis but historically what we do see where we have a bidding war with assets um a lot of those things kind of get disregarded and the lack of transparency about it um often ends up with the the, you know the challenges being swept under the carpet and only reappearing a few years into the you know after the deal has been consummated so that that is slight a slight worry about that and certainly i know a whole bunch of senior debt providers are very concerned about some of the ground rent structures but from blackstone's point of view the owner of butlins um it kind of makes sense what they've got they've probably already pulled out a load of money from the overall deal they struck to buy um to buy this business which uh, was born leisure which includes um um you know the warner hotels piece and uh, the um, um haven uh, caravan parks thing um they probably got a load of that cash out already and they're left with you know a, a nice asset in in butlins which has been restructured the opco piece is probably looking a lot better we don't know for sure but certainly that's the that's the chat that the opco piece is now on a bit more of a sustainable footing thanks to this deal 
not quite so um, challenged in terms of immediate um, debt payments. Um, so this means that maybe if you know if and when um, Blackstone wants to put the thing back on the market, it can you know it'll wait until the market gets nice and frothy again, sees loads of people bidding, and it has another payday um, when that opco is unloaded. So I, th I think from from Blackstone's point of view, from the opco's point of view, this all all, all makes you know great sense. Um, you know how how some of the other debt providers in in this deal feel about it well that's another discussion i suspect but uh, um it, it, you know they have a role and i'm i'm certainly not somebody who would say ground rents are you know they they shouldn't be done but i also think um you know you've got to have very very good advice uh, be very clear on what you're getting into and importantly how you can get out of it um in terms of the when i say get out of it in terms of the you know the disposal of the overall asset and the impact of having a ground rent deal on the disposal of the asset but as you say chris you know the this thing that's going on in cambridge um where the ability group bought this asset and it's on a 30-year lease with delata uh you know that's a demonstration there you of course you can still get uh, you know um, assets away with have which have a ground rent ground rent on them but uh um I, I would suspect that you narrow the field of potential buyers and there's some people that just wouldn't be that interested in trying to unpick the whole Now we're going to turn to our five star and no star awards for this week and five stars are going to uh, the authorities in Singapore and Australia as they further ease uh, Covid restrictions and uh, look what's happening in Singapore well apparently Bloomberg reports that the hotel room rates uh, in Singapore are almost at almost their highest level in a decade as demand comes flying back once the uh, restrictions on travel have been eased so good news there and this yeah, absolutely and there's even talk that hong kong is going to end hotel quarantine requirements um by this november there's a big banking conference apparently and um, hong kong is aware of the damage being done to it as the premier financial center in in asia um singapore is vying for that crown and uh singapore's opening up and getting that business and i think hong kong is somewhat belatedly realizing those problems and uh well you know the the People's Republic of China have just shut down Shenzhen, um, so tens of millions of people again in lockdown. Um, how long they will be able to keep pursuing these these what well, are uh, increasingly looking like bonkers policies with regard to lockdown um, is anybody's guess. But uh, you know, if, if Hong Kong is able to start easing up, I think the PRC itself will have to start reviewing this. I suspect probably once. Uh, you know this autumn's crop of uh, um, communist party meetings is 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 got through we all start seeing a you know a quieter u-turn on the whole lockdown policy we shall see um but uh, let's hope it, it's finally got rid of and yeah so i guess this is slightly for me actually from last week um um you know there's me banging on about um you know what's the fuss with these energy bills etc etc for unit 
um, individual units. You know, what? Why are you know pubs and individual hotels making quite so many squeals about this? Um, I was looking at aggregate numbers and saying, well, look, you know, it's five percent of your turnover. Put your prices up a bit, and you'll be able to um, cope with it. But um, really, I suppose I, I should have um, also referenced just how mad the current um, energy market is, and what we are seeing is there's two things here. One is that some people are coming off long-term deals. They've struck deals at very low, well, comparatively much lower levels of of pricing uh, for energy, and they're seeing you know anything up to ten times uplift in terms of their their prices. So that clearly is not something which uh, businesses can cope with. Um, and this this huge dysfunction that's there um, has to be uh, dealt with. It's just a, a total failure. So it's a sort of no stars for me and um, more importantly no stars for the the regulatory and um, the off-gem and the government responsible for for sorting out what is an almighty mess in the energy market i think i would expect um, that this is going to be dealt with um, on thursday let's hope so let's hope when we record our next podcast chris we're able to talk about the you know give a five stars for the government initiative the uk government initiative in terms of dealing with this challenge but uh, certainly I, I i'm caveating my um, um position in the last podcast where i was a bit uh, uh shall we say uh you know what's everybody mo- crisis what <laughs> crisis i think was uh, was my well on that hopeful note we'll say goodbye line. for now